welcome to account-based marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. This series has been recorded as part of the launch to our customer buying index, where we codify 10 years of account-based marketing experience and provide a rolling pulse into the enterprise buying cycle. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum ABM. Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This episode has been pre-recorded as part of a series for today's CBX 2020 Summit. Digital transformation is a hot topic right now as many organizations move to transform their business. So today I'm thrilled to be joined by Tony Miller, Marketing Director at WW and formerly Marketing VP of Disney. Tony, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Tony, you've had a pretty impressive history and some really strong experience in rolling out and making CRM investment decisions. I think one particular project that you worked on was across 27 regions. What was that like? What was the your, your experience? <laughs> a lot of gray hairs at the end, I think. <laughs> no, but um, it was it was challenging. I mean, it was a great experience. Uh, no mean feat, that's for sure. Trying to align 20, 26 markets um, across EMEA that have varying degrees of budget and varying degrees of strategies and teams that they have to work with and trying to get agreement, alignment on strategy and vendor was no mean feat. But looking back, it was a great project and it actually brought everybody together in more of a team collaborative approach in terms of how we communicate, how we work together, aligning priorities and and KPIs. So the end result uh, was a great step forward for the business. Mm -hmm. And Tony, were you building consensus in the countries in terms of getting them all to agree based on the solution that you'd selected or were they involved right from the get-go? What did that process look like? Yeah, a bit of both. So when I joined five years ago and didn't have any real landscape of technology set up. So it was very sparse uh, to begin with and very sporadic in terms of what markets were using or not. Luckily, I had a group of digital leads in each of the markets that were uh, sophisticated enough in their thinking, and they knew the need to, to move forward. So I think the appetite was there, both from top down, from our my uh, executive level leadership, but also from the ground up. They wanted to move forward, but I don't think they had anybody in place that could help them articulate how to move forward. So that helped make my job a little bit easier because I had people already on side in terms of but I just needed I needed to articulate the vision and how fast we could move to the executive leadership to really get full buy-in. So it was I would say it was a combination of the two where I had just from my previous agency experience going into this role had an idea of suppliers and vendors out there that I knew were best in class. But I didn't want to kind of bulldoze my way through and just say, these are the ones we're using. I, I took the time to listen and talk to leads of each of the countries to see who they rated locally and to throw them into the mix as much as kind of the, the top suite of people I was looking at. Yeah. So interestingly, you, you already had um, executive or senior stakeholder buy-in and, and part of your process sounds like it was about getting the countries feeling vested and, and actually throwing some hats onto the table with local vendors to make sure that any proposed solution met the needs of those countries as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I was I, fortunate. I in a fortunate position coming in where I had the, the ears of the executive leadership were already there to listen. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of times I think you have a closed door that you have to really try to open and really kind of fight for investment and show the return that that's going to bring and, and how quickly that return is going to happen. I still had to do all of the due diligence in that, but I at least had an engaged audience that understood if they were going to flip the way that they wanted to communicate to consumers, they needed to take the, this seriously in terms of the, how we were going to make it happen. And these 26 markets, part of our, our study and our own customer buying index shows that there's different behaviours in terms of that decision making. And, and as you're working with different countries, did you find any big parities in in those regions comparing somewhere like France to Russia? What what did that look like for you? Yeah, um, there were. I think I think some of the other bigger EMEA markets that are more well established have local suppliers that know their market inside and out, and some of the bigger players haven't expanded or, or their sophistication in some of the non-English speaking markets hasn't been as great. So I think I had to deal with those two ends of the scale. And when I was really, to be honest, focusing on what was going to work best for 26, I actually looked at really, really getting the ownership and buy-in from kind of our top seven EMEA markets kind of as part of the the, the main group, and then some of our second tier markets getting input and, and consideration from them. But some of the other ones that had lo- had smaller teams and smaller budgets, they were already open to just allowing us to make a decision and then they would be able to capitalize on it. Got it. Some of the, the deal cycles that we're involved in, we, we see some clients go in through the opcos or some of the smaller regional companies as a way of getting the foot in the door. So doing some kind of CRM deployment in Italy and then expanding to whether it's a global or a, a, an EMEA-wide transformation. Did you have any of that to deal with? Were you contending with an existing footprint? Um, a little bit. Luckily, as I, I said, we didn't have much set up when I when I joined. We had an ESP that was probably uh, past its sell-by date at the time I kind of joined. So I think everybody wanted more from that. So that was an easy kind of win. And then the other pieces, they were open to kind of suggestions and they had their, their two cents that they wanted to get in with. But I'm trying, I'm thinking just, you know, in, in a broader scope of things, the only one that was particularly sticky in the, to begin with was our visualization tool because I think that there's a lot of local partners that would bring all of the data together to visualize but I was really uh, clear that I wanted a single source for that on top of everything else to make our conversations around performance and KPIs uh, level but that was probably the only piece out of the whole tech digital transformation bit that had the biggest, uh, I would say, discussion. Sure. And from a CRM perspective, obviously very sensitive topic in, in the way that the markets are controlling their data and some of the processes that they're they're looking to put in place. How, how did vendors help you get internal alignment? Their approach to streamlining data points and data sources, I think. I th- the, the vendors that I was engaged with, particularly, and, and had good conversations, all had a, a singular approach where everything was put into one uh, one kind of data pot and we worked from that and and allowed markets to have self-service but but it was within a controlled environment so we had one 
solution, but seats on the table for each of the markets so they could actually have control and ownership over their own data sets, but within a regional structure. Was there anything that the vendors that you worked with could have helped you more in terms of building that internal alignment before you made that decision? Good question. Because it sounds like you did a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, we yourself. did do a lot of the heavy <laughs> lifting ourselves. I think I had an idea in my head. I think it was what was complex about us at the time was it was a very matrix organization and we had lots of uh, lines of business we had to contend with in each market and different so we had lines of business and brands and multiple brands and multiple lines of business and every market looked at it slightly differently so we did go back and forth with our vendor in terms of the structure of the environment and how that was going to be set up from a data perspective and we agreed to have a instead of an EMEA wide structure that was consistent we had a local structure and an EMEA setup if that makes sense so that we were so that each market could compare like for like within their markets. And then I was able to roll then that up into an EMEA-wide view. So that yeah. was a back and forth. And I think the vendors helped me articulate and architect that solution because I, I initially went in with a different view and they were able to guide me in a, in a more appropriate view that would work across the board. I mean, one of the things that we see through our work and our customer buying index is vendors that are putting effort in and joining the dots of here's the value we're going to bring to your business, providing that more customized proposition to their own customers and also using that insight and understanding that they've gained across their customers' business. Those are the ones that are adding the, the most value and really helping create internal alignment. Did you see any of that in, in your experience? Absolutely. We had both ends of the spectrum in the group of suppliers that we were initially engaging. And the ones that came out on top were exactly what you've just said, the ones that leaned in to understand my problems and took my problems on their own to solutionize what was best for me and not best based on what the system could offer. So it was really, they really kind of broke down and personalized their offering to try to solve my own problems where there was and those are the customers, those are the vendors that ended up going to go in into the final rounds where the other ones were quickly whittled out when it was just a clear sales perspective and they didn't take the time to understand the context of, of my business and, and my challenges. They were just interested in selling a solution. So Tony, digital transformation, big challenge, big undertaking for any organization, particularly if you've got a matrix structure or um, you're dealing with multiple cultures. What would your tips be for businesses that are undertaking a digital transformation? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is no mean feat. And I think uh, you you have to go with an open mind. So I think what the, my approach was, I, I, I knew what I, I wanted to accomplish just from my previous experience agency side and what I had done uh, in that role, agencies for multiple brands. So I kind of had an idea of what worked and what didn't, but I didn't want to come in and just say, this is what we're doing and how we're doing it. So it was really being open and, and understanding and listening. You can't, the importance of listening is crucial, especially when you're dealing with different markets and different countries across the board. So open, open mind, deep breaths and understanding. I think my particular situation, as I mentioned, was that people were open to it. And I think there was this almost aha moment when I came in because they finally had someone that was going to lead the charge. So I think I had people already on my side. I think my thing was just to make sure their voice was heard in the final output of, of the transformation itself. So my advice, I guess my advice would be 
if you're going into a digital transformation, it's no mean understanding that it's, it's going to be harder than you think, but being open to listening and taking on local views is, is vastly uh, crucial. I think absolutely that's something we see all the time that you've got, unless you're, you're listening and, and leading with that understanding, what you end up recommending may be just a complete misfit. And what about the role of business versus IT? It sounds like you've approached this very much from a, here's what the business needed. This is the, the, the needs and the strategy of the local markets. And this is how a technology solution can address it. We, we sometimes see a bit of friction between business leading digital transformation type initiatives versus the IT organization. What What's that look like in your experience? Yeah. And again, I've got examples that are good and bad on that. I think, <laughs> I mean, well, I shouldn't say bad, good and challenging, maybe nothing's bad. <laughs> it is, it's understanding the IT language. Again, it, a lot of it just comes down to communication skills. It's like, I think that the, the view that IT has is going to be what is the best solution that I can offer at the the cheapest price, I think. And how is it going to work? And do I have the people internally to to manage it? Versus the business is 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 trying to convince them the the business need of it. And if they can see the business need, then it opens up opportunity to look at other other solutions. So it's really building the the relationship between the why that why are we asking for it and the and why does the business or the consumer need it to happen and i felt like i had in my last role a really good it partner that got business strategy so she was able to really understand business need and translate that through to her team from an it solutionizing point of view so that was great but i've had other experiences where I ended up getting a almost I'm get, like a computer says no kind of initial reaction, <laughs> uh, and I had to kind of go back and and come back with different ways of kind of opening the door a bit more uh, with those types of uh, personalities. I would say. Got it. So all about communication, then framing it correctly, and then also making sure if you're partnering with IT that you're you're both aligned on the the business strategy, and and there's a good understanding on both sides. Yeah, breaking it down. In fact, there was an even there was an example where I, IT had historically just went around and did some questioning in terms of the business, in terms of like what were their pain points, without really understanding the why. And then they would go back and build a solution and come back to the business and say, "Ta-da, here it is." But the business would be like, "That's not that's not going to work for me." So it was you you have to kind of it go, the collaboration is they IT needs to under really understand the business need, but. It needs a business partner that can translate that into an so that the IT team can come up with the right solution. Well, with some of our clients, we've seen organizations go from the IT department and then sell through the IT department to the lines of business. And then also the other way around where it's a business-led initiative and, and IT are involved more at the identifying the solution stage. Ha- have you seen that work? What's, yeah. what, what's your experience look like? Yeah, absolutely. The latter works better than the former. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've seen both where I, but the, and the problem is that I, the IT team is, are really passionate about what they're doing because they're, they're building it and they're thinking it's going to work and they, and they thought they've understood this, the business and, and to provide a solution and they go in and it falls on deaf ears because it hasn't answered the fundamental need for the, the, their business partner 
And nine times out of 10, I've seen it actually. A lot of money is, and investment has gone into it and no one in the business has ever used it. And then it's been dismantled three years later because it was, it was deemed as unuseful. And so my challenge was going into this last bit was not to repeat that same mistake because I think there was a lot of skepticism of the IT team for the, the previous behaviors and previous solutions they offered. So I had to go in and be really kind of do a little bit of repair damage. And it was, it was, it was quite straightforward. Once I identified a business solution, a business partner that drove the brief and that IT then was kind of in the background supporting them every step of the way. And then you got buy-in and then you got a, a, a solution that actually answered the brief and that people would use. And from a, a number of individuals, it sounds like you're working with lots of markets and the IT partners. How many people in your experience have been involved in these digital transformations? Have you had 10, 15 people to bring with you? Has it been a bigger bigger size than that that's had influence over the decisions that you made during that process? Yeah, it's a variation. I would say between 10 and 20 uh, on average, I would, I would say, because if you look at I had probably seven people, uh, well, more than seven, but maybe 10 people from the business side kind of all waiting in. I had a group of procurement people that we had to bring on board and help um, on board with the right partners that we wanted. And then I had uh, a handful of IT people. So it could have been actually in the, in the realms of 15 to 30 people involved at any stage of the process. I think towards the end, it got, it got whittled down to a manageable, you know, six, seven people that were kind of in the final decisions. Yeah. What role do executives play in, in these large digital transformation projects? Were, were they involved, it sounds like, at the beginning where you've had lots of agreement, green light, they understand the business value and, and you've then pushed on? Uh, what, what did that look like? Yeah, it was definitely that. I had I had two executive sponsors. I had my my lead, who was the EMEA CMO and looked after all of the uh, CMOs of the of the business. And our CFO, you know, who held the the ultimate purse strings. So they were my sponsors, uh, and I would check in with them regularly on the process. But then they gave us clear roadmaps to go away and do the due diligence of understanding what was the best uh, mix of solutions and vendors we needed. And then it was once we got to a certain point in getting it down to kind of the the three or so that we were really considering is building out the business proposal back to them to say these are the these are options one two three on the table these are how we're going to um, hold ourselves accountable the kpis we're going we're going to measure on a monthly quarterly biannual basis we'll bring you in at those stages so you can see how we're tracking against a success so they started they were they were they were key at the beginning and then we went away and did our thing. And then we brought them in, you know, before final decisions and then kept them in the loop as, as we implemented. Yeah. So almost that business case, that final justification phase of which options do we go with? That's when, when you circled back more intensely. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Definitely. And in your experience dealing with vendors, it sounds like you, you came to these decisions with some vendors you'd already worked with or had some history with, what was the experience that really stood out from a sales and marketing perspective, just thinking about the meetings that you were having with these vendors, the content and communication that you were receiving from them? What really resonated with you? Yeah, I think I was, it, it was the, the vendors bringing in not just salespeople, but they're the marketing people that were actually going to help run the business. I think so often, a lot of times you buy into a solution because you were sold really well. 
on what it could happen. And then the handover period is where everything kind of falls off and goes a bit Pete Tong. Uh, when you <laughs> when you get you know, in your you know day to day team, and there was a loss in translation piece. So those that resonated with me actually had people that were going to be running the business involved in the upfront sales pitch. We built a relationship. I got comfortable with them. They got comfortable with me. We were able to really understand my problems and what I needed to do. Whereas other ones, you know, just saw it as a as a dollar sign opportunity and the the translation of that then just fell flat. Yeah, got it. I, I think that's definitely a trend we've seen in our own data of organizations that actually deliver what they they promise and set out to do from the beginning are, are those that have sustained revenue and, and a much stronger partnership with their with their customers. From a content perspective, did you see anything from vendors that was more customized, that spoke more to your needs? It sounds like at validation stage, you definitely did. Um, was there any other communication that, that went on during your buying process? Yeah. I think a lot of the times, um, the ones that stood out and helped our buying process were, were applicable case studies. So kind of real life examples of similar problems. So it kind of goes back to that. They understood our problems and then provided solutions through the lens of how they've done that before, uh, which really helped my confidence. Because a lot of times you get kind of just generic case studies <laughs> that don't really mean anything, but they were able to tailor make case studies that actually actually um, address similar issues. I think there's a lot when you're deploying technology, to, there's a tendency to switch to speeds and feeds yeah. and functionality versus value creation. And when you've got a problem that you're looking to solve, those are the that's the content that you need to see. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like they would just drop me notes every now and again through the process in terms of not a salesy note, but if they were, if they were seeing certain webinars or conferences that they thought would be helpful in just giving another viewpoint on things. So it wasn't even kind of stuff they were leading, but just stuff that was in the mix of what's out there that they would bring to the table, I thought was also quite helpful because then they're being seen as a partner, not as just yeah. a commodity. And they're creating a value exchange in each of those interactions of how can you benefit and, and how, how can they better support, support you with ideas, thoughts and external yeah. perspectives. So when you come to make your next large technology investment, is there a dream list that you have that, that vendors should be doing? What would your top three be? Yeah. Okay. So top three definitely would be understanding my business needs and my priorities. So I think initially you can fall into the trap of just giving them maybe 15% of the problem because it's just they're trying to come in and solve one area of it, but they need to know the whole business and your kind of all of your objectives, your overall strategy, your overall business uh roadmap yeah, even it even if it's up. how it all ladders up so mm -hmm. i think it's it's understanding the full business uh priorities not just mm -hmm. the one that they're coming in to solve secondly would be um i think flat have a flexible model so it's mm -hmm. actually as we all know now and what we're living through businesses change at a heartbeat and and priorities and strategies change and it could go off piece so i think having a flexible working model to be able to bend and, and shift with how businesses need to uh, bend and shift is a second um, yeah. need. And then third is just being being real. It's, it, there's not every meeting is a sales opportunity. And it's just, <laughs> and it's, it's that balance of 
having conversation and, and becoming a true partner and just building a relationship. It's like any kind of, you know, friendship relationship. You want to take time to understand and know each other and just and make it a, a real relationship and not always have to have something salesy off the back of it. I think there's a tendency in the kind of physical world for sellers to rely on PowerPoint or presentations and the meeting just becomes a relay of information as opposed to really getting to the nub of the the, the challenge and, and taking that time to understand and ask questions to build their own insight and knowledge as to where they can add value. So definitely, yeah. definitely on the on the real conversations. So Tony, in this new environment that we're operating in, companies are moving faster than ever before. If you were conducting a digital transformation today, what would uh, you expect or like to see from vendors in this current climate? Yeah, that's a great question because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> um, I, I, I definitely would love uh, to have a flexible approach to offering. So, you know, not being locked into a three-year contract at the beginning. Obviously, I know economically you need to kind of lock yourself into a, a time frame to get scale and efficiencies. But within that, having points to review and check in to see if has technology moved on? Are we actually um, outdated in our approach? Uh, what are the new uh, pieces that we need to bolt on? And how can we shift the cost model that we bought into to be flexible, to move with the the ever-changing needs of a business and, and our priorities. Got it. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today, Tony. It's been a pleasure. I could talk with you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ABM, the account-based marketing consultancy, transforming how sales and marketing teams grow their biggest customers. You can learn more at MomentumABM.com.